Safe drivers save up to 20% with insurance. Get a quote at AAA.com slash insurance. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Welcome into The Verge, a show which covers the Baltimore Orioles minor leagues. The Verge is part of BSL Radio. Baltimore Sports and Life is dedicated to analysis and discussion on the Orioles, Baltimore Ravens, and the University of Maryland. The site has a team of writers providing coverage of those teams and houses live streaming content weekly. Join the conversations at the message board, like BSL on Facebook, and follow BSL on Twitter. On Twitter. Want to make a podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easily, then distribute it everywhere and even earn money all in one place for free. It's called Spotify for Podcasters, and here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer, so no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. Ever since we discovered Spotify for Podcasters, we feel like having options like video podcasts and Q&A lets us be more creative on another level. I highly recommend you give it a try. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com slash podcasters to get started. Welcome to On the Verge. This is Zach Spedden, joined as always by Bob Phelan and Nick Stevens. And on tonight's episode, we have our mid-season roundup as we're about midway through the minor league season. Highlighting our coverage tonight will be our midseason all-star team. We'll also get into some of our favorite storylines in the minor league season so far. And, of course, shout out recent performances from players outside of our top 30 prospect list. As we usually do, like to do at the beginning of the show, though, we want to welcome new members of our Patreon community. And I'll turn that over to Bob. Yeah, the beginning of the month is always a great time to sign up for the Patreon. You know, get that full month worth of content. And we have a new patron at the AA level, Matthew Sullivan. Welcome aboard, Sully. Welcome aboard, absolutely. And we'll jump in now to our All-Stars, where with a pretty good first half in the Orioles minor league system, uh, including performances from players that we expected to have big years and some players we might not have been expecting to have big years in 2022, putting up good numbers over the first few months of the season. The way that this team was put together is Bob, Nick, and myself each wrote down our positions for pitchers, we had eight pitchers total plus a reliever, a catcher, the four infielders, the three outfielders, and the DH. The main rule with the positions, with the exception of DH, where we just put whoever we want 
was that that player had to play that position. So we couldn't just put Gunnar Henderson at first base just to make things easier for ourselves. Uh, we had to stick to what the players actually play on the field. And I, Nick, I don't know how you felt about this, but I felt like there were a lot of close calls and a lot of tough choices. Yeah, I feel like, I mean, kind of like what we said all season, though, the, the top prospects in the system really performed, and I think most of them ended up making this list. Uh, there are, actually, one of the top prospects in the system did not make this list, which is super encouraging. Uh, I think that was the toughest thing for me was deciding on the pitchers. Even though we have so many pitching slots, I think there are some guys who did not make this team that definitely deserve it. Uh, and even the outfield, too. I mean, there are some guys who, some sleeper prospects uh, that didn't end up making this all-star team, which just speaks to to the depth that the system has been showcasing all season long. We'll go in now, and we'll start with the catchers in the infield. And the three of us were pretty much unanimous in our choices here. Behind the plate is Maverick Hanley, who is setting that glove-first catcher label with a big offensive season at Double A Bowie to go along with the Excellent, as usual, defense. At first base, T.T. Bowens, who's been one of the more reliable power hitters in the Orioles' farm system the past two years, putting up very good numbers for Aberdeen, and now a real key part of that lineup, given the promotions they've had lately. He's been a consistent producer all year long. Second base, Cesar Prieto, putting up a very good season between high A and double A and has flashed some surprising power along the way. Second base is a very competitive position, which I'm sure is something we'll discuss here. Gunnar Henderson is our shortstop. That was not a surprise at all. The only question was which spot on the left side of the infield was he going to get and which spot was Jordan Westberg going to get. Jordan Westberg ends up the hot corner, third base. Gunnar Henderson at shortstop. So pretty good start here to our team. We were unanimous across the board with our choices at catcher and the infield. So, Bob, I'll turn it over to you. I want to start with Handley. Uh, we were pretty high on him coming into the season. We've talked a lot about his defense but the offense has gone into another gear this season. Yeah, we we heard going into the season how much work he was putting in at driveline or someplace like that. And, you know, he started off cold in April and it was like, okay, where's where's this where's this improvement going to be coming from? And then we talked to Drew Rahm. He said, hey, all he needs is at-bats. <laughs> Next thing you know, in May, he put up a 907 OPS with a 340 batting average. And then in June that just passed, he had a 959 OPS in a 280 batting average Four home runs over the last two months. He's got six on the season. I think he's already surpassed last year's total. Looks great defensively. Obviously he's right up there with Adley. Probably I'm, I'm guessing he can pick anyone off at any base at any time. He's seems like he calls a good game. Pitchers are comfortable throwing to him. So if this bat can can stay where it is right here the last couple of months, then yeah, he's a legit, legit prospect that could be more than just a backup. But with Adley, that's what he'll most likely be. But maybe they can afford to give Adley more rest if he's going to come up and, and perform like this at the major league level. But let's get him to AAA first. Yeah, we still got to see more from him. But the master of the back pick, uh, it was easy choice here. Uh Look, the, you talk about the bat and the, the work he's been doing, and not just Drew Rahm, but even when we had Brandon Young on, he was like number two, my favorite catcher all time to throw to. When I, I what do you say, something about what I know I want to throw this pitch next, or I'm not even thinking about this, throwing this pitch in this situation, and Mavericks throwing the, the signal down, and that's what I'm throwing, and we get the out. I mean, he's, he's two steps ahead, but it's all about the bat. I think the walk rate, even with that slow start overall, the walk rates remained about the same. It's like 10, 11% on the year, 
but he's cut his strikeout rate almost in half. It's down to 17% this year, which is phenomenal. I mean, the batting average is up more than 40 points over his career average. You know, base percentage is up like 50 or 60 points above his career average. WRC plus up another 50 points. The defense is MLB ready now, but yeah, he's putting up better than average production from the catching position. And I think one thing is just you got to give these catchers more time to develop. Adley was special because it's Adley Rutschman, but give these guys more time to develop. We talked about Creed Willems at the end of our last episode. Uh, same thing with Maverick Hanley here. Uh, and yeah, like Bob mentioned, maybe it's more flexibility when he gets to the major leagues. If he gets to the major leagues, possible more flexibility with Adley, uh, a bigger trade piece here with Maverick Hanley, one of the two. But either way, if if that bat is legit, which it's looking more and more like it is, that's a, that's a big developmental win there for the Orioles. Yeah, it's not often that you see a player hit for more power, cut his strikeouts, and keep his walks about the same. You don't see that very often, but Handley has managed to do that this year while continuing to play excellent defense. I'll move over to first base, and it's T.T. Bowens. I I have not kept the numbers, but I feel like if you had to put together the all-time stats for players featured outside the top 30 in that final segment we do during the season, T.T. Bowens would probably have the most shout-outs or close to it. And there's a reason for that. The guy can hit. Now it is not showing itself so much this year in terms of home run power. He had 18 last year between Delmarva and Aberdeen. He has just four so far and a little under 250 plate appearances. But one thing you see consistently that is very good, 387 on base percentage. And the guy hits the ball hard. I think this is definitely a case where playing in Aberdeen, maybe you don't see the home run numbers you otherwise would see, but I, I felt like when I was looking through the first baseman in this system, Bowens was head and, you know, head and shoulders above the competition here. Yeah, and I mean, it's a 15% walk rate he has, and we're 60 games into this season. You talk about huge walk numbers, that's T.T. Bowens. And I, the power, my first thought was, yeah, he's playing at Aberdeen, so of course that's going to suppress the power a little bit. But he did hit five home runs. Uh, in 120 fewer plate appearances in Aberdeen last year. So maybe that doesn't tell the full story, but at the end of the day, I don't really care because like you mentioned, he hits the ball probably harder than most guys in the system. And when you've got this extreme walk rate that has remained stable uh, and the line drive rate is up significantly uh, so, and a lot less uh, fly balls this season. So he, he's showing this really patient approach at the plate. He's hitting hard line drives. I think the power will, will come. It'll come back. I think he's working on a lot of different things right now, and he's putting. He's becoming overall uh, just a more complete hitter. Uh, and you know, it's just like the home runs will definitely come back for him. I, I want to see this guy in Double A. Like, put Doshbach or JD Mundy up in Triple A. Let him play first base. It doesn't matter. I'm not super high on either of those guys. Put him at first base. Let him play there. I want to see what TT Bowens can do up to the next level. Yeah, I couldn't agree more with that. I mean, Doshbach has an 842 OPS in June. He heated up last year and then got promoted. Let's do the same here because Bowens, I think he's 24 years old already. I mean, still plenty of time to develop, and especially for just a DH first base type of guy that he is. And, yeah, we need to see him in double A before too long because he improved his walk rate from 8.7% to 15.2, like you said, and he hasn't struck out any more than he did last year. So let's get him out of the death valley for hitters, like Keith uh, said in our patron group, and get him to Bowie where Colton Cowser just showed you, hey, this is easy to hit home runs here in his first week over there. So, yeah, absolutely great season for T.T. Bowens. 
just like to see him be at a more age appropriate level and see if he can keep it going. And two, one thing I've noticed is that last year he would go on these 10 game heaters, or like 10 games, 15, 16 hits, couple home runs. And then he would go three weeks plus where he would reach base maybe five times. Uh, and that he hasn't done that at all. I don't think this year. So, but it's kind of tough to super keep track of these guys in Aberdeen because I feel like once you get to Aberdeen, you kind of disappear until you reemerge in Bowie. It's just, <laughs> yeah, you, to, you don't <laughs> have to take a shot. Yeah, you don't hear their names shouted out too much on the broadcast. <laughs> but uh, great point there. He has been much more consistent this year. Go over to second base now. One of the prospects the Orioles signed over the offseason, Cesar Prieto, has been pretty good over the course of the season between Aberdeen and Bowie. So far, 270 plate appearances, Prieto slashing 330, 348, 470, with nine home runs, seven of which came at Aberdeen, the place we were just talking about where it's tough to hit home runs. Prieto has actually been a little bit of the reverse in that profile, has not hit for as much power at double A after hitting for a lot of power at high A, but overall very solid. And the other thing, too, is Prieto has shown a surprising bit of versatility. We didn't know much about his defense beyond second base, but he has played both shortstop and third base capably this year. When called upon, we slot him into second base because the guys on the left side of the infield are pretty good. So Prieto gets a nod here at second. Yeah, he made Death Valley look like Happy Valley. I mean, he was just popping them over the right field wall left and right in April with seven home runs, but he's continued to look good. He's hitting doubles. He's walking a tiny bit more than uh, – you might expect, and yeah, he's got like a 704 OPS in double A, but he's got a decent batting average, and I think the Orioles just know what they have in him right now, and I think he's been pretty consistent outside of his injury that he missed for the most part. So, yeah, the, he'll be the guy next year that everybody's clamoring to bring him up around uh, this time of the year. Unlike Jemai Jones, uh, Prieto can hit the baseball. Uh, I'm not too concerned yet about – some of his double A numbers, uh, a lot of, you know, one for four with a single type days, but the extra base hits are coming for him more recently. And it, the walk rate too, I feel like the walks are kind of non-existent with Prieto, but the strikeout rates are also extremely low. So, you know, I don't know if down the road Prieto is an everyday second baseman in the majors, but when you look at what he's done so far and what he's capable of and the price the Orioles were able to get him for, I think this it's just proven to be an even bigger win, uh, a huge international signing here for the Orioles. Uh, I just keep wondering, you know, is this like a, a another like Nick Madrigal comp? Like, is that kind of hitter? And I know a lot of guys don't. You, you kind of say, is there room for baseball for guys like that in today's game? And I think, yeah, I think Cesar Prieto is a pretty exciting player to watch every night down there in Bowie. So, really cool to see him in Double A already. Yeah, and Luis Arise is showing that you can uh, be that kind of guy and have a lot of success. And Frederick Ben Cosme is uh, is doing the same thing in Loe Delmarva. So, uh, and I wonder if you know, with guys like Taron Vavra and Connor Norby in the system, if Prieto could be one of those guys that is a trade chip for uh, if the Orioles want to try to get a uh, cost controlled uh, starting pitcher or something like that down the line. Before we move on, I want to throw this out there. Did either one of you also think that this was the hardest decision of the group? Because some of the players that Bob just mentioned, Taron Vavra had a very strong case to make this. Um, for me, compared to Prieto, it was just the time that, miss, that Vavra missed with the injury. Um, put him below Prieto for me. Daryl Hernandez was very, very close to getting this spot for me. Um, but in the end, I just felt like Prieto doing it at a higher level mm. gave him a little bit more of a nod. He has slightly more playing time than Hernandez this year. 
But now that there's been some promotions out of Aberdeen, I would expect Renee's to get a lot more bats consistently. So did either one of you think that this was the hardest decision in the group, maybe outside of the pitching spots? Um, yeah, it's definitely up there. There was that final outfield spot was a little tougher for me as well. But yeah, like you said, you have Taron Vavra. If he didn't miss the time he did, he probably would have been the guy or at least been more competitive. Uh, Hernay's great year. Wish we could have fit him in somewhere because he's really had a resurgent year. And we'll talk about that more later with uh, Nick's excellent article that he wrote. And even Connor Norby, who has been brilliant in his first week at Double uh, A Bowie. He's just hitting doubles and walking left and right. So, yeah, great position of strength for the Orioles when uh, two or three years ago it was like a barren wasteland with Rafael Palmero's son getting looks there. Yeah, I mean, like I mentioned at the top of the show, there are some guys on this not on this list that definitely deserve uh, consideration and should have been on the list. And Hernandez, I think, is definitely one. Uh, it was just tough. Vaver, I didn't consider Vaver just because of the lack of playing time. Uh, and, you know, this... I tried to stick to just looking at the stats, right? This is just stats based. This is all star. This is just for fun. This isn't a top prospect list at all. So it's not based on prospect status, but I did find myself creeping in. And maybe this is part of, I was writing this Hernay's article as I was also creating my list. So I'm like, all right, well, I'm already like doing all this focusing on Dale Hernay's. Uh, so let me spread the wealth here, but not realizing that Hernay's isn't going to make our list at all. But yeah, I tried to keep prospect status completely out of this. But then when I looked at Cesar Preto and we just we didn't really know what to expect from him uh, and to see what he's done in you know, against good competition, uh, just I had to put him there. But it definitely was probably the toughest decision. We'll go over the left side of the infield now where I think the best player versus prospect argument really didn't come into play because we have two of the top prospects in the system having two of the best offensive seasons and probably just best all around seasons in the Orioles minor league system this year. That's our shortstop Gunnar Henderson and our third baseman, Jordan Westberg. We talked a lot about the two of them last week. They've both gotten off to excellent starts at AAA Norfolk after, you know, playing at AA Bowie in Henderson's case, just flat out dominating the level over the first few months of the season. And Westberg recovering from an early slump to hit really well before he got promoted. And he's actually hit better at AAA than he did at AA. So, you know, no need to talk about like how we labored over the decision here. This is a pretty easy one for us. Um, so just anything to add, Bob or Nick, about what you're seeing with Westberg and Henderson this year? Well, for me, it's Henderson is the con- consistency. Actually, he's getting better as the season goes on. In April, he had a 850, oh, sorry, that's wrong, 885 OPS. In May, he had an 1,100 OPS, and then in June, he had just a hair under 1,100, and that's with going up a level. So, yeah, Henderson just continues to amaze, one of the best prospects in all of baseball at this point. And and Westberg had that one moment of struggle. There's two weeks where he was really bad, and he was patient. He knew what he was trying to do, and there was no reason to worry because he came out, had an 883 OPS in May and a 1040 OPS in June. So, Great to see these guys in a, a month or two, or at the most, I don't know, eight months. We'll be seeing them at the major league level. Yeah, it's this is where it gets exciting because you think about all the positives at the major league level, and maybe the infield isn't included in there. But when you have Gunnar Henderson doing what he's doing in AAA, Jordan Westberg doing what he's doing at AAA, Taron Vavra just needs to stay healthy. Like that's it at this point. And I get like. 
Uniel Diaz vibes and you know, shiver up my spine there thinking about that. But, you know, this is Vavar. That's really all he needs to do is stay healthy. And he's in the major leagues. And you've got the infield of Adley, Mountcastle, Vavra, Gunner, Westberg. Where they play, I don't care. They're going to be everyday major leaguers. And you look at Gunner, like, I mean, the guy's got a 432 on base percentage. And we're more than halfway through this regular season. He's already exceeded his 2021 walk total. He did that a couple of days ago. He's close. He only needs four more home runs to match 17 home runs he got last year. The strikeouts are way down. He's even got 16 stolen bases on the year, and I think only been caught two or three times. So fantastic. We're reaching this point of what else can we say about Gunnar Henderson that hasn't already been said. And I think he's going to shoot up the prospect rankings. He's already very high, but I think you're going to see him as one of the top position prospects on all of baseball in the very near future. And Jordan Westberg, now top 100 prospect Jordan Westberg, uh, he's over 100 plate appearances in AAA now, and he's hitting 330 with the lowest strikeout rate of his career. We said two big questions about Westberg coming out of the draft were, were strikeouts going to be an issue and could he hit for power? And the strikeouts are down. Smaller sample size right now. They were up early in his career, but in AAA they're down, and he leads all Orioles minor leaguers. I believe he still leads all Orioles minor leaguers with 15 home runs. I don't think anybody had Westberg as the organizational leader at this point in the season, I definitely did not. So fantastic job by these two guys. And I can't remember who it was, but someone commented on one of our Jordan Westbrook highlight videos on Twitter. It was like, you know, at the, coming out of the draft, going into the draft. And when I saw the Orioles picked him, I wasn't excited at all about Westbrook. Just thought he was a guy. Uh, but now I can't get enough of Jordan Westbrook. And that's my thought. Exactly. I love watching him play probably almost more than anyone else in the system. And the way he started out in AAA is extremely encouraging. This guy has got to be just weeks away from the major leagues. And the quote from Michael Elias saying he hopes to see them play next to each other for the next 10-plus years <laughs> was uh, mm -hmm. pretty exciting as well. Pretty good uh, in, uh, investment there. Yeah, Henderson and Westberg, I, I kind of look at them. Like I remember last year when Adley Rutzman and Grayson Rodriguez were having such great years. For me, it was kind of the struggle week after week. It's like, all right, well, they did something great again, but I can only tell you that they're good so many different ways on this show. With Westberg and Henderson, we kind of are getting to that point, like Nick said, but I think one of the differences with them is that seemingly week after week, they do something that surprises me to a certain extent. Um, and Nick just mentioned, you know, Westberg strikeouts being down. We've talked about a lot with Henderson with his – Walk rate going up. He's just a better hitter overall this year. And there's that element of, and I don't know if it's necessarily speed or if it's just good instincts on the bases, but the fact that he can steal bases like he does and not get caught very often is a good sign for me. Not that I think he's going to be a 30-30 guy at the major league level, but it adds another element to his game we weren't necessarily counting on. Yeah, and you have... Shout out to the uh, uh, bird's eye view guys. I think it was on their last episode. I don't know if you guys listened to this or not, but uh, they were talking about Adley Rutschman, had some great Adley Rutschman quotes about when Rutschman was struggling. When they're talking about Henderson, there was, you know, saying like, hey, we obviously everybody is super excited about Adley Rutschman. Everybody wants to see him in the major leagues. Adley Rutschman is a pretty special prospect, but Gunnar Henderson, like, it's kind of weird to say this, but like, could Gunnar Henderson be even a better prospect or better major league player than Adley Rutschman. Uh, and, you know, when you take Adley Rutschman and what he can do offensively and the fact that he's a catcher, that's huge. But I still think to a degree, like Gunnar Henderson is possibly being slept on with how 
what how high his ceiling could be in the major leagues because we we said it for so long look at what he's doing as a 20 year old in triple a well now it's a 21 year old in triple a but i mean he's one of the top hitters in all of minor league baseball this season and so yeah i i just don't know what to say about this kid i mean this is a phenomenal unbelievable season he's putting up yeah he's three years younger than adley and he's showing the walk rate that Adley showed in the minor leagues this year. He's striking out less, which is good. He's got the power, obviously. He plays a premier defensive position at shortstop, and he looks really good there this year. He's made tons of great plays out in shortstop and third base. Um, yeah, I think there's a very, very valid argument that he could end up being a better prospect and a better cornerstone to this team than Adley Rutschman, as crazy as that is to say. We'll look now at the outfielders and the DH. Our outfield, Kyle Stowers, Colton Kowser, and Hudson Haskin. Three pretty good hitters here. Stowers, again, among the best hitters in the minor leagues, currently tied with Jordan Westberg for the organizational lead with 15 home runs. Meanwhile, Kobe Mayo is our DH. As I said at the top of the show, DH was the one spot where we could do whatever we wanted. And in the end, we honored the young Mayo, who was having another strong season, recently was promoted to double-A Bowie after a good run at high-A Aberdeen. I'll start with the three outfielders here, looking at Stowers, Kowser, and Haskin. Three different kinds of players, and I think in the case of Stowers, someone that probably would be in the major leagues is a lot of organizations right now. Kowser has gone up to double A after some ups and downs that Aberdeen is hitting really well so far. And Haskin has actually been one of the most consistent hitters at double A this season. So, Bob, I'll start with you here. Just thoughts on this group of Stowers, Haskin, and Kowser. Yeah, it's funny. These guys are all firmly in our top 15, even two of them in our top 10. Um, and they're very deserving of these spots, but they got here in such different ways. Kyle Stowers started in April and had a 900 OPS. Then in May, he had a 865 OPS. And in June, he had a 947 OPS. So pretty consistent throughout the year, as you would expect his second time through the league. Colton Kowser, we know. He was a problem in April. In May, he started to pick it up. And then in June, he had a 306 average with a 962 OPS, 10 doubles, three home runs, four stolen bases, good defense in center field. So really coming on hot here as we reach the midpoint. And then Hudson Haskin had like the best first week or week and a half of anyone uh, that I can remember. Then cooled off. And now he's actually heated up again pretty well the last two or three weeks. So both or all three of them, very deserving. But it's just funny. How, uh, how they got there. Yeah, I mean, Kyle Stowers, 35 extra base hits this season, still putting up the huge walk numbers, and his strikeout rate has dropped significantly. So you, there's a lot of guys that you see the walk rates have remained consistent, but the strikeout rates have dropped noticeably lower. Uh, so that's that's huge uh, for across this organization. Uh, that's huge to see. I just think at this point, get Kyle Stowers on a major league roster every day, put him in that lineup every day, and let's see what happens. Haskin, I said before the season, I felt like Hudson Haskin was getting overlooked because nothing really jumped out at you last year. And then he had the injury, I think it was what, a thumb injury that ended his season early. So I was kind of honestly a little shocked to see him start the year in double A, but he's been there all year. He's got 10 home runs already. He's got an OPS over 800, uh, and I haven't checked. I meant to look this. Who's been predominantly playing center field? Because when you have Kowser, Zach Watson, and uh, Hudson Haskin in this Bowie outfield now, I was interested to see how the playing time is split up defensively, but 
I mean, Haskin is a guy who I've seen a lot of other people agree that as he moves up, this guy can play center field in the major leagues. He's got that defensive ability as well. Uh, so it's good to see his power tick up this year. And then Kowser, yeah, like we've talked a lot about Kowser lately, but the guy has a 402 on base percentage for the full year and an 821 OPS. Fantastic numbers, 27 extra base hits, and he's also 17 for 18 in stolen base attempts. Colton Kowser does it all, and he's got fantastic speed on the base paths. He's going to be just fine. He's playing well. Um, you know, it's just an example of you've got to give these guys a chance to learn and develop. And you might be pleasantly surprised if you just wait just a little while longer. Uh, and so it's it's his first full season. He's doing well. What was the issue? I wanted to look up his splits against lefties, too, in this very small sample size in Bowie. But we know lefties were giving him a fit in Aberdeen. And, I mean, wasn't he doing it the first night in Bowie, uh, crushing lefties? Same with Gunnar Henderson, struggling against lefties, moves up to AAA, he's crushing lefties the first night. So these guys are developing, and they're learning, and they're growing, and it's it's been a lot of fun to watch this year. Yeah, pitchers are loving that defense in Bowie right now. <laughs> yeah, we've got the defensive number breakdown for center field Bowie. Um, Hudson Haskin has 39 games. That leads the team with Zach Watson, 26. In the week that he's been there, though, Colton Cowser has already lost four games in center field. That makes sense. I mean, you have the first round draft pick, the predominantly the predominant role out there in center field. Yeah, I wonder if it's like, and I think Haskin missed a game or two at the end of the week yeah, um, for a minor injury. He's supposed to be back Wednesday, but I would imagine if it, if there's six games in a week, you give three to Cowser, two to Haskin, one to Watson in center field. That's how I would do it. Go over now to D eight, Kobe Mayo, who. At just 20 years old, put together a very good run at uh, high A, averaging 270 plate appearances. That's 250, 326, 479 with 13 home runs. He had a home run in 12 at-bats at Bowie uh, before being pulled from a game last week because of a back injury. Hopefully he'll be back on the field here soon. But Mayo, after a breakout 2021, has followed that up with a 2022 that I think, frankly, puts him in that conversation, firmly in the conversation as a top 100 prospect in the game with the power numbers that he's putting up while playing against older competition. And all the while, hey, we have him at DH here, but pretty solid at third base still. Yeah, I would say so. I just asked Eric Garfield about that. Um, a shout out to John Rhodes, who was the guy that just missed my outfield spot. He missed some time as well. Uh, if he wouldn't have missed as much time, he might have gave Haskin a run for his money there. But yeah, Kobe Mayo... He's a good defender at their base, got a cannon for an arm. And he's, again, he's six months younger than Gunnar Henderson, and he's already in double A. Um, it's basically the same trajectory as Gunnar Henderson, except he started a level higher than he, Henderson did last year. And he's performing admirably for his age or for anybody. He's got tremendous power. The walk rate has been ticking up as the year has gone on. He's striking out less than Connor Norby and Colton Kowser on the season. So, Go figure that. And, uh, yeah, I mean, the back spasms, that's definitely a scary situation in the moment, but not too concerned long-term. I think it was – I've reported that it was the first time he'd ever experienced that. And, hey, Brian Roberts, it happened at least once a year, I feel like, uh, throughout his entire Orioles career, and he was he was okay. So, yeah, Kobe Mayo, under – I actually think he's having one of the most underrated seasons of anyone in the system just because of the guys above him and around him that are are going absolutely wild – like Gunnar Henderson, Jordan Westberg, and et cetera, et cetera. That's, I mean, that's, I fully agree with that just because his own teammates, being with Colton Kowser and 
whether it's good or bad attention with Colton Kowser, there's a lot of focus there. And then, yeah, the guys in AAA, the hitters in AAA especially, are just been so phenomenal this season that Kobe Mayo has gone overlooked despite 14 home runs and 14 doubles so far this season. And you look at, yeah, the average dipped. You just look at his stat line, you could say, well, he's not hitting for a high average. Well, you know, his batting average of balls in play is like 100 points lower than normal for him, I think, when I looked that up earlier today. He's showing big-time power. The back spasms probably came from that monster blast he hit in Bowie for his first home run. That game started out with, what, a Norby double, a Kowser double. I think Cesar Prieto had a single, and then Mayo just drilled it. Um, he's like right-handed version of Kyle Stowers out there. When he connects on a ball, it's going far. Um, that, that wall is not going to be an issue at all for Kobe Mayo. Uh, and you mentioned the defense. Like, I think he looks like a major league veteran out there at third base. And just in terms of how calm and collected he looks, because he's he's never looks rushed out there. And he's able to set his feet before he unloads that cannon of an arm across the diamond. And you know, I've said for a long time that Kobe Mayo is a special prospect in this system, just like Adley Rushman was a special prospect in this system. Everyone knew that, but I I still agree that. When I look at Kobe Mayo, I, I see a potential cornerstone guy for a major league franchise, and I really do hope it's the Orioles. He only needed 116 games to get to double-A, and he doesn't turn 21 until December. So, yeah, he, he's getting overlooked, and that's fine because when he breaks out in Bowie later this year and Gunnar Henderson and Jordan Westberg are banging down the gates of you know Camden Yards, people are going to take notice. People are already starting to take notice, and once these guys are hitting the major leagues and performing in the upper levels of the minor leagues – this is when Orioles fans deservedly get really excited. Before we move on from position players, we talked about this at second base. Bob mentioned John Rhodes, who was also a close contender for me in the outfield. And again, this was the time he missed compared to the three players I ultimately went with, Haskin, Kowser, and Stowers. Um, those three just won out mainly because the games played. Rhodes definitely was in the mix, though, for me. Uh, we talked about some of the second basemen that missed. Is there any other position player that you strongly considered but didn't put on the list? Mm, no one particularly that close for me. I mean, Heston Kerstad and Samuel Basayo are the guys that in this past month have really just had amazing months, but only so much playing time. Can't really put them on the for the whole midseason awards, but comeback player of the year and rookie of the year, if that's a thing <laughs> for those two. Yeah, the FCL guys and DSL guys was just they only started a couple weeks ago, so I didn't even consider any of them. But uh, you know, you look at statistically speaking, again, not prospect status here. Colin Burns stood out to me a little bit, but that middle infield, second base shortstop, was just too stacked. The infield was so stacked, there's no room whatsoever. Um, but yeah, other than that, I mean, really, no one else really. To me, there's some. I wanted to put someone in Delmarva to have Delmarva representation. Uh, you know, you get the kind of I hate saying this like the the, the pity pick um, <laughs> for Delmarva, but I I couldn't uh, find it. But um, yeah, I think this is a a really really solid squad, and really the the name that I think deserved to be there that isn't is definitely Dale Hernandez. But like you guys mentioned, we're going to talk about him later on. Yeah, definitely. And that would have probably been the guy for me that represented Delmarva. I mean, Luis Valdez has the stolen bases and has had a solid year overall. But compared to the other second basemen, there are numbers offensively are just much better than Valdez's. Trendon Craig has definitely been you know, a quality contributor to the Shorebirds since he got there. But overall, the playing time and the numbers compared to the other outfielders just weren't there for me. But 
not to say that Delmarva hasn't been without its pluses this year. There certainly have been, and especially with Kerstad in the last month, but there really just was not anybody there that stood out enough to make the position player part of our list. Um, we'll move on now to the pitchers. And because we have a lot of names to mention here, I'm just going to kind of break them down into groups. And I'll start with the first four. Grayson Rodriguez, Zach Peek, Ryan Watson, and Drew Rahm. So Rodriguez, I don't know if we're going to see him pitch again this year. Uh, wait and see about the lat injury, but he was dominant before that, and that was more than enough for him to make our midseason all-star team. In Watson, I think you have one of the best breakout stories of the 2022 minor league season. And Zach Peek and Drew Rahm are right now pitching about as well as they can at double-A Bowie. And I think certainly, you know, further legitimizing their status as prospects in this organization and not just, you know, interesting minor leaguers, but players that you could look at as possible contributors to a good major league team down the line here. Yeah, for sure. I mean, Rom and Peak are doing exactly what you would expect them to do coming into the year. I mean, they had a little bit of a blip there with the a fluky non-injury related IL stint earlier in the year, which kind of put a damper on their innings and getting into the, the straight, the run uh, getting comfortable is what I'm trying to say going into the season. But uh, they, ever since they built their innings back up, they've been lights out. I think Zach Peak had a little bit of a blip his last time out, but not worried about him at all. And yeah, Grayson Rodriguez, best pitching prospect in baseball, maybe best prospect in baseball. He's got a, a back injury that is not a long-term thing. So it's short-term disappointment, but still just had an incredible season to that point and should be back healthy, whether it's the end of this year or spring training next year. And yeah, Ryan Watson, what is there to say? He saw his velocity increase and and his prospect status increase with it because he's he's been lights out. He He ended the year really strong or ended the month, excuse me, really strong. And, and he's got his ERA down to 3.66. So these guys are are the standouts in the upper minors. That's for sure. Yeah, Rodriguez hasn't pitched in over a month. And Ignacio Feliz just finally passed him for the organizational league leader spot in strikeouts, uh, which is just unbelievable. Uh, obviously, if he wouldn't have been injured, he'd be pitching in the major leagues right now. We'd probably be watching him tonight instead of Austin Voth, uh, which looked like before we came on the air, he was having a fantastic night, though. Uh, but uh, Drew Rom, I love Rom uh, so much. He had, when he came on our show, he mentioned he's not worried about some of those early starts because that's the ramp up period. It's cold. He's still learning. He's settling into the season. And then like you mentioned, he had the non-injury IL stance and then you got to ramp back up from that. But even through all of that, he's four and one with a 3.86 ERA on the year. He's putting up more than 11 strikeouts per nine innings with a sub 8% walk rate. And he's still just 22 years old, which is almost three years younger than his competition. So even with all of that adversity he's faced this year and slow starts and ramp up periods, he's still putting up huge numbers. Uh, and I think he's got an ERA of around like three over his last six starts where he's really starting to settle in. I know he gave up three home runs in his last start, three solo shots, but at least one of them was a total fluke, a short, short porch uh, home run over there in Bowie. But uh, Watson for me, you guys nailed it. One of the biggest surprises of the season. I don't think anyone saw Ryan Watson becoming one of the top arms in Bowie's rotation this year. I thought for sure he was strictly a bullpen guy, a bullpen relief prospect. And now he's a guy who's in our top 50 or close to being in our top 50. And before the season, he was definitely not someone in consideration. But 
Yeah, 3.6 ERA. The XFIP is a little bit lower. The whip around one. Walk rate around 5%. And he goes deep into his outings, which is really good to see. Yeah, Peak. Like, Peak was the one for me that statistically I wanted to put some other guys ahead of him. But this is where if you just look at his numbers, I think you miss a whole lot with Zach Peak starts because even some of those early bad outings, quote unquote bad outings, that's like the first inning he gets roughed up and then he settles in for three, four scoreless frames. So that's impressive to me. That's what I put into consideration. And in June, the month of June, he made five starts. He had a 1.08 ERA, a 0.84 whip, 21 strikeouts, just four walks. And I think the biggest thing for me is we we know if anyone in the system does not lack confidence, uh, it's Zach Peak. But it just seems like the confidence in his stuff is really starting to shine through, and he is not afraid to throw some of these breaking balls and secondary pitches to hitters. And so I think that's going to help take him to the next level. And hopefully, I don't know if we have an update of what happened on that last start. It was an injury or what happened, but. I hope it's not serious because I think Zach Peak was marching pretty quickly to a promotion to AAA this year. Yeah, I mean, any guy that compares himself to Darth Vader on the mound <laughs> is going to win some confidence points and some cool points in my book. I think I'm going to petition to just start calling him Darth Peak from now on. I, I like it. Uh, and Drew Rahm, he had a 3.18 ERA in June over 22 and two-thirds innings just to, just to show that, yeah, once he got comfortable, he, he became Drew Rahm again, as expected. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think with both guys, the month of June kind of put them over the top for me. And it wasn't because they performed well statistically. It was because, all right, there's what Drew Rahm does at his best. That's pretty much what he did all of last year. And after that sort of work to ramp up, like you mentioned, and Peak went through the same thing. You're trying to ramp up. You have the injury, which came at a bad time. Then you kind of have to ramp up all over again to an extent. Now that they're finally getting settled in, both of them are doing exactly what I saw them do last year when they were so good um, throughout the season that it's like, this is just how they pitch. This is how good they are. So that pretty much persuaded me. Yep, definitely agree with that. So this go with this group now, and we're slotting these pitchers as just pitchers until we get to the last spot, which is reliever. Uh, remaining five names to mention here among our pitchers, Justin Armbruster, another excellent breakout candidate in the Ryan Watson mold. Same thing goes for Peter Van Loon. Gene Pinto, if you've listened to this show, you've probably heard us talk about Gene Pinto before. Uh, a breakout month of June helps to put him over some close competition in his own rotation down there at High A Aberdeen. Connor Gillespie makes our list as well, along with Ignacio Feliz. So, among this group, pretty strong representation of an Aberdeen pitching staff that has been so good all year. And there were a couple of arms there that we left off that were close calls, which we'll get into in a minute. But I want to start off with this group, um, looking at them, Bob, Armbruster, Van Loon, Pinto, Gillespie, Feliz, Pinto, what stands out? Aberdeen pitching is pretty fantastic. Um, I don't know what's in the water. Maybe it's that Death Valley that's helping a little bit, but these guys are are really just showing out and they're showing that there are more ways to develop pitching than in the top first round, second round, third round draft picks. So you got Peter Van Loon, who's pulling the Drew Rahm going undefeated and having just fantastic numbers on the season. In June, he was three and zero with a 0.96 ERA with 32 strikeouts and 28 innings, big tall guy that can hit 96 miles per hour. Um, 
just fantastic. Justin Armbruster, you know, just a organizational arm, as some some people out there were saying, goes up to Double A Billy and just pitches even better. I don't think he's given up a walk yet in 16 innings or something like that. So, 13 innings, 16 strikeouts, zero walks. Uh, yeah, so that's great to see. Gene Pinto he got off to a rocky start, but the numbers on Fangraphs made it look like you know he was being unlucky and turns out that was correct because he's pretty much gotten his real era closer to his expected era in that regards and Connor gillespie he walks a lot of guys except for in june when he only walked five and 18 and two-thirds but he strikes out a lot of guys doesn't give up a lot of hits and he's had a great year ignacio feliz i mean he'll have a couple blowout outings but then he'll go strike out 10 and like three innings, which is almost impossible. Uh, he's got electric stuff and yeah, Aberdeen pitching, even though they lost all like three of their top bats, it's still worth going to Aberdeen to watch those guys just because the pitching staff is going to keep them in the game no matter what. Yeah. Shout out to Forrest Herman, uh, all-star of, you want to talk about, uh, forget about minor league player of the year, pitcher of the year, just minor leaguer of the year, Forrest Herman, the pitching coach down there in Aberdeen, but uh, yeah, Peter Van Loon, when you go 8-0, you get an all-star not here. And you mentioned his June numbers. The month before that, he had a 5.14 ERA and a 1.64 whip. So a phenomenal turnaround there. You're seeing a lot of those tall, thick, sturdy pitchers that Michael Elias loves to bring in. And you're seeing why, because so many of them are having a lot of success this year at the major league level and the minor league level. You look at a guy like Chris Valamont, we were talking before the show. He's not on this list, but Chris Valamont has skyrocketed. Uh, well, he debuted on our top 50 prospect list that we put up on Patreon. And this is a guy who's top 30, top 35 prospect. Uh, definitely a guy to watch out for. But as far as the guys, other guys on this list, you mentioned Feliz, 36% strikeout rate. That's just unbelievable. The walks are definitely a big, big issue with him. I think he's up to like five and a half, almost six walks per inning or per nine innings. But outside of that, he's been effective. A 176 average again, striking out more than 14 guys per game. Phenomenal minor league phase, the rule five draft fine. Pinto, undersized and overlooked, yet still performing at this high level. You mentioned the rough start, but I think he's only given up three earned runs over his last 24 innings uh, with 24 strikeouts. So I think Gene Pinto is definitely back. Uh, the walks, really the issue has been walks. And eight. he's given up eight walks over those, those last 24 innings, but four of those came in his last uh, four-inning outing that he had. Just a rough night, blip on the radar. But overall, and he's only 21. He's going to be 21 all year. So keep watching out for Gene Pinto. We called it first. You're welcome. And Justin Armbruster, like, I love Justin Armbruster. And he prefaces by saying that, but I thought he would have been the last guy that Aberdeen Group promoted but he was the first one and he's showing why the organization promoted him first. And he's got 79 strikeouts to just 18 walks in 66 innings this season between two levels. And like Bob mentioned, 16 strikeouts, no walks in 13 double a innings. Like the fastball gets up to 96 miles an hour. And I think the scouting report is still pretty similar. I actually went back and listened to shout out to Connor Newcomb locked on Orioles when he does after the draft where he brings someone on, uh, an announcer, a coach, someone very familiar who knows each of these draft picks in and out. He brings on a guy, focuses an episode on each draft pick, 
And the guy he brought in to talk about Justin Armbruster said the fastball works. It's a high spin fastball that works well up in the zone. We've seen that. And it's the if he can develop that slider into this wipeout pitch, which it's not yet, but if that can be the wipeout pitch, you've got a powerful back of the bullpen relief arm option here with Armbruster. And I think that's pretty accurate from from what we've seen. But right now he's working out as a starter. And again, like Bob mentioned, there's showing the different ways you can develop pitchers. These guys, Armbruster, Van Loon, Carlos Tavera, are they going to be future top of the rotation arms? Maybe not. But you're developing a pretty big pool of pitching prospects that you can pull from when you need them throughout a summer, when you're competing. You don't have to scour the waiver wire every day to find the new uh, Connor Wades and those guys to fill your rotation anymore. You can pull guys up who have worked with Adley. They've worked with Chris Holt for the last five years. The organization knows them. They know this organization. They know the catchers. It's all one unit. Uh, And I think that's going to go a long way over the next two, three years. Yeah, when I was putting this list together, one of the things I think stood out to me was that I knew that Pinto had had a really good month of June. But when I looked at his numbers in June, number one, they were outstanding, 20 strikeouts and 20 innings pits, just four walks and a 1-3-5 ERA. But kind of like what I talked about with Rom and Peak, it's like, all right, well, this is what we know he's capable of doing. And it sort of felt like early on in the year, Pinto would get into this routine where he could put together – three really good innings in a row, and then he'd hit a wall and start to struggle with his command a little bit, or he'd have a couple of good outings in a row and then have one where the command would just get away from him. So the consistent ability to limit the walks that he had last year has not quite been there so far this year, but everything else is. And then I look at that and I feel like he's on the right track. And, you know, you mentioned the age there, Nick, and you're right. You know, just 21 years old, he's going to be 21 all year doing this at high A and let's forget that this is actually his first full season of pro ball because last year he started off in the FCL. So Pinto got into that mix for me. Arm Brewster, I think you definitely have to talk about now as one of those arms that's not, you know, a top 10, top 20 guy, but still provides a lot of depth to the system. Van Loon has been great all year. Gillespie, I was torn between him and a few other guys to put on my list, but in the end I just felt like the strikeout numbers really outweighed any of the concerns that I had about the walks. And Ignacio Feliz has just been probably the best strikeout pitcher, if not one of the best strikeout pitchers in the whole farm system this year. I, I don't even think I mentioned anything about Gillespie, but I'll just add, can we just get him out of Aberdeen so he can finally put on a different jersey? Because he's only won one jersey his entire career. So let's get him to Bowie in a brand new jersey. And he's earned it. <laughs> not, not just for fun. He's actually earned that promotion, I think. Hey, they changed the jersey colors and uh, the whole true. logo and everything for him. That, that was just for him. <laughs> so we'll go now to our reliever. And it's a guy that I think for me was a pretty clear-cut choice. He's been one of the best pitchers in this organization this year, and it's Noah DeNoyer. 51 to third innings pits, 66 strikeouts to just 11 walks between high A, Avery, and double A, Bowie. He has spent the bulk of that time at Bowie and has actually been better at Bowie than he's been at Aberdeen. He's cut back on the strikeouts or excuse me, cut back on the walks while maintaining very strong strikeout numbers. So Denoyer, who who has pitched 14 games this year with just one start, gets our nod here as a reliever. Yeah. And even though he only had one start and it was a great start, I mean, I feel like he can still be considered starting pitching prospect 
just because he's pitching what four innings at least every time mm-hmm. out. So it's just too many good pitchers <laughs> right now to really give people consistent starts that go five or six innings, which is a good problem to have. And for the month of June, all at double A Bowie, 16 and a third innings pitched, 19 strikeouts, only one walk allowed, only five hits allowed. That's a whip of under 0.5. And he had a save. So there's your reliever uh, qualification and a 0.55 ERA for the year. He's striking out 34% of batters and walking less than 6%. Yeah. He's he's my pitcher of the year so far for the Orioles. If Grayson Rodriguez didn't get hurt, obviously it would have been him, but Denoyer's healthy and he is rocketing up my prospect list. I think he might be up there with um the Drew Roms, Cal Branoviches of the world at this point. I mean, he's showing that it's not a fluke and he can strike guys out. And we said last year, I feel like if he can get the walks under control, he can be a real weapon and he's done that. Yeah, the, the walks are not an issue at all anymore. I mean, just in Bowie, 36 innings, 45 strikeouts, five walks. That's it. Uh, that's absolutely absurd. And to be honest, I don't know if you'd find any other blog, podcast, prospect writer anywhere who ever mentioned the name Noah DeNoyer. Uh, and for whatever reason, I kept getting drawn to Noah DeNoyer last year. And I, I did say that the walks were an issue early on, but even – the second half of last season, he wasn't walking very many guys at all. He was already starting to turn that corner. And now this year, he's taking his game up a whole nother level. And I pulled something up earlier. I was catching up on a bunch of articles and everything over you know the holiday weekend. But I saw Steve Molesky finally wrote a piece about him, uh, gave him some hype. And I was looking at that strikeout rate. And I looked. There are 400. I tweeted this out this morning. 461 minor league pitchers have logged 50 or more innings this season. And Denoria ranks 29th in strikeout percentage. At 34%. So he's up there with Grayson Rodriguez. Ignacio Feliz is up there at 36%, which is, that's just, can we just talk about that group? The biggest strikeout pitchers in the system are Grayson Rodriguez, DL Hall, Ignacio Feliz, a uh, rule five shortstop pickup, and uh, Noah DeNoria, who was not drafted through 40 rounds. That's a phenomenal story. And I, I just think, if anything, Forget about prospect status even. I just think Noah DeNoyer deserves phenomenal credit for what he's done and so much more hype and so much more attention because this is a story that don't give up on anybody uh, in these minor leagues. These guys, you might look at somebody and they're just a filler. They're minor league filler, just a body to fill a lineup. That may not be the case. Um, doesn't matter where you drafted. He got a shot and here he is. He's in double A, getting ready to get promoted to triple A and seen as a legitimate prospect now in the system. Yeah, I feel like there were hints that the organization liked him throughout last year into this year. And I mean, he's got maybe the best curveball in the system and he sits mid 90s with his fastball. So this stuff is good. It's not like he's just getting by with uh, soft toss and righty or something like that. Um, yeah, it's it's an exciting development. And just another one of if Gunnar Henderson is like the the player development model for the hitting side of things and Noah Denoyer might be the one for the pitchers. So um, very quickly, I'm going to put you guys on the spot. Uh, per Fangrass, Noah DeNoyer is Wolf 5 eligible this offseason. We have a lot of players that are not currently on the 40-man that feel like locks to get added. Grayson Rodriguez, Drew Rahm, Zach Peak, Maverick Hanley's making a very strong case for himself right now. Right now. But if you had to protect DeNoyer without you know factoring in other considerations, yes or no, would you protect him? I'll go with Nick. 
Right now, yeah. I mean, I don't see how you can't because he's definitely going to get picked up. <laughs> he's already showing the whole league that he can go four or five innings at double A with high degree strikeouts and virtually no walks. And that's that's teams are going to give that guy a shot 10, 10 out of 10 times. So I think right now, yes, you protect him. And it's just fascinating to think about the decisions that are going to have to be made <laughs> at the end of the season because this is where last season was interesting and fun to talk about the Rule 5 stuff, but this year is going to be 10 times more interesting. Exactly. Yeah, that's going to be a really fun episode or at least <laughs> – a hard episode to come up with our answers to, uh, unlike the last year or so. But yeah, it's an easy yes for me. And obviously there is a half of season of baseball left to go. And I haven't really done a deep dive on the 40 man as far as, you know, who could come off easily, who could, you know, who else needs to be added. But for me right now, it's a yes. That Rodriguez yeah. guy's hurt. So you don't protect a guy of injury history. Though. <laughs> Give it to Denoyer. It's an easy yes for me right now. And I think with how dominant he has been these first few months, a lot of things would have to change between now and the off season for me to change my mind about that. We'll go very quickly now and hand out the hardware for our top overall hitter and top overall pitcher of the season. Bob already mentioned who his top overall pitcher is, so I'll let him start. Yeah, it's no Denoyer for pitcher and probably the easiest answer in the world, Gunnar Henderson for Hitter and overall. Yeah, it's got to be Gunner for me for hitter. And I'll be different and just say Christian Rodriguez for a pitcher. Because, I mean, the numbers are still fantastic. A whip under one, a whip under .9, 80 strikeouts, 14 walks, 56 innings, checked every box, showed everybody that this is a guy that the Orioles is going to rely on as a top of the rotation arm for a very long time. And um, it's just unfortunate timing with that injury. It's not durable. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Yeah, it's Henderson for hitter, just the total package, the what he is doing production-wise, the fact that he's so much younger than his competition, the fact that he's done it at two different levels makes him the easy choice. And I agree with Nick on the pitcher of the year. I'm going with Grayson Rodriguez as well. Um, he, he was just so dominant um, over those 11 starts that he had before the injury. If not for the injury, he would clearly be in the major leagues right now. But, yeah, this is not a long-term concern. He's going to be just fine. And, one thing that kind of surprised me a little bit, just 10 innings pits behind the organizational leader. So Rodriguez at 56 innings before the injury. Justin Armbruster at 66 and two-thirds innings pits leads the Orioles minor leagues right now. So Rodriguez actually not that far back in terms of innings pits. So probably not going to be having this conversation at the end of the season, but for midseason, I think it's a perfectly fine choice. Uh, with the pitchers, was there anyone that you left off that you really had to think twice about and you really wish you could have fit on? For me, it was Carlos Tavera. I had him on my list. Uh, what he's done in Aberdeen, and it was I just randomly noticed the other day that he's on the injured list. Don't know what for because obviously we're not going to get any information out of Aberdeen, but what he's done this year is pretty impressive. 12 starts he's made down there at Aberdeen. A 4.13 ERA, yeah, but he's got 67 strikeouts and 48 innings pitched. The walks, he's been, done a pretty decent job of controlling and limiting the walks. The movement on those pitches, it looks he's literally throwing a Frisbee out there some nights. Uh, this is a guy who was shouted out by many as a guy to watch before the season started, and he's proven it this year. That's a great call. And I put D.L. Hall in there. 
even though he hasn't had the best numbers at AAA Norfolk, uh, he had a fantastic outing his last time out once he figured out that he was tipping his pitches a little bit. What do you know? He pitches way better. And if you add in his one high A start and one double A start, numbers look a little bit better. And his stuff is just so electric that it's – I just felt like, you know, he deserves at least an honorable mention. Take a bit of a different turn here with our midseason roundup. And rather than highlight individual players, we're going to talk about maybe some trends or some storylines that have unfolded over the first half that we wanted to take time to talk about. And I'm going to start with Nick here because it actually ties into a piece that he has up on BaltimoreSportsAndLife.com right now that you should go read if you've not read it already. Actually talks about two prospects in this, but the guy that gets a lot of attention in the article is Daryl Hernandez. Yeah, I just felt like Hernandez needed some credit. And, you know, as far as like minor league trends, a couple of things I've noticed are looking at big picture. It's like I mentioned earlier, the, the top prospects are excelling extremely well. And you're seeing these pitchers from small schools, really no name guys coming into the draft, coming out of the draft process who are becoming real weapons in this system. So those are two trends that I've definitely enjoyed watching. But overall, as far as like a specific player, he's someone we haven't really talked about at all this season. Uh, no one has mentioned the name Doe Hernandez, and I just thought it was time that he deserved a shout out and some love because you know he's played across two levels this season. He's already got seven home runs, which is a career high. He's matched his career high in doubles. He's got four triples this year, which is a career high hitting almost 300, OPS of 853, 20 stolen bases. The guy plays a phenomenal shortstop, second base. He can play all around the infield. And he just gets overlooked when you have guys like Gunnar Henderson, Jordan Westbrook, Taron Vavra, Norby, Prieto, Joey Ortiz even, uh, Michael Hernandez. When he gets a million-dollar-plus signing bonus, you want to focus on him. I mentioned, shouted out some guys in the DSL who are off to pretty phenomenal starts uh, down there, but – Hernandez just gets overlooked and this is a guy who last season the biggest things that struck out to me were even though there were a lot of one for four days or maybe he was over three with a walk he still had on base streaks of 27 games 18 games 15 games and 11 games uh, and so and the biggest thing that I didn't realize and shout out to Vivek in the Patreon group and multi on the time on the verge uh, podcast guest here uh, he talks about Hernandez and his, he doesn't really whiff the, you know, the strike, the swing and miss isn't really there with Hernandez. And I went back and looked and last season, the only qualified hitter in full season ball that struck out fewer, a fewer percentage amount of times than um, confusing my words there. The only batter in full season ball that struck out at a lower rate than Daryl Hernandez was Adley Rutschman. So pretty good company there. And this year, the power's there. And I just thought the story that Sam Jelinek told when you get with you guys about how he became the leader in that Delmarva clubhouse was a phenomenal story and just spoke to who he is as a person. How many guys have we had on the show, his players, his own peers, that shout out Dale Hernandez when we say, who's not getting talked about enough? It's always Dale Hernandez. John Rhodes gave him the shout out on Twitter today with the piece. Like His teammates know, and I just thought it was time more people know that Dale Hernandez is is a legitimate prospect in the system, a top 30 guy who's having a huge year. Uh, and yeah, it's it's easy to overlook him, but this is how deep this group of middle infield prospects is in the system. Yeah, he's even getting that walk rate closer to league average. It's up from 6.8% last year to 7.6% this year. Strikeout rate's still right around 17%. Uh, can play all over the infield. And he's younger than Gunnar Henderson. So just remember that. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I don't think you could have asked for much more from him this year because it goes back to Delmarva. And the circumstance, I think, had more to do with the depth of this organization than it did with his performance last year or even in the spring based on things we were hearing. Uh, steps up there as a real leader. I think hitting the ball noticeably harder this year. He's doing a lot of things well offensively. He's a pretty good shortstop. Uh, he plays the position well over there. So also adds in the versatility of playing a little bit of second base and third base. So Hernandez is a legitimate prospect. And if you have not read it already, go check out Nick's piece at BaltimoreSportsAndLife.com. The thing that I wanted to recognize is really the return of Heston Kerstad. 18 games back with Del Mar, but he's hitting the cover off the ball. And he's been fun to watch. He's been ramping up gradually in his workload there, which has been good to see. But I think for me, it's really just after everything he's been through, having to work his way back from myocarditis, he starts to get there this year, and then he hurts his hamstring in spring training. That puts him out for a little while. But he has hit the ground running um, after a long layoff, had not really played competitive game action since the 2020 season at Arkansas, and has looked phenomenal at Delmarva. And I think that just with repetition, you know, getting regular at-bats, he's going to settle right in. We'll eventually see that promotion come. And when it happens, I feel like he's definitely going to be ready for it. So I think we're starting to see a steady climb here for a guy that has been in the conversations, one of the top prospects in the system, but has sort of had the unknown of the injuries. But now he's showing firmly why he belongs in that mix. Absolutely. Fantastic story, his comeback. And to me, they're just they're getting him prepared to start next year in double A. And they're just pacing, you know, his time at Delmarva. He's trying to force the issue. I think if it was more of a merit-based thing with him right now, he would already have been there. But I think they're just trying to have him finish the year in Aberdeen and then start next year at Double A Bowie. And anything could happen at that point. You want to talk about unbelievable stories. I mean, hasn't Kerr said all the people who said he is a bust. Uh, who is he? Is Heston Kerstad real jokes? I mean, all of that. The guy has battled through just so much after so much after so much. And his first 17 games, this is phenomenal when I saw this, a 444 average, a 520 on base percentage. He has a he had a hit in 16 of his first 17 games, and he was riding a 14-game hitting streak until last Monday night. The Monday playing day games thing is weird. Um uh, so Monday night, he went 0 for 4 with a walk, uh, which snapped the 14-game hit streak, but still he's hitting well over 400. Um, so yeah, this is really good to see. He's playing right field a lot and for all nine innings. And so he's actually made a couple of highlight real plays out there in right field. Uh, so he's not just a big, powerful bat. And this is just another guy who... It was hard to rank him in like you know our top third. Like, what do you do with him? This is, you, there's never been a situation like this before, so it's extremely difficult. It's really impossible to say where exactly do we rank this guy. Well, now, when this all this settles out by the end of the year, you're going to have the, all the graduations of the top ten. Uh, Kershad's firmly going to supplant himself as a top ten prospect in the system. There's not going to be any doubt about that, and that's. Turns out a lot of people have sent us tweets like jokingly saying like, it "Turns out he was the right pick." Uh, but I, I would agree. I think Heston Kirsten is showing that he was the right pick there. So was Austin Martin. But <laughs> Bob, we'll jump into your uh, pick here. All right. Um, yeah, my storyline is just, you know, it was the title of our last episode, Swing Decisions, just organization-wide, other than Delmarva, which has a completely different 
complexion than it did in 2021 when you had Jordan Westberg, Gunnar Henderson, Hudson Haskin, Anthony Servideo, all these guys uh, in low A to start last year and played for a chunk of time. If you look at AAA Norfolk last year, their on-base percentage was 312, which ranked 19th out of 20 in their league. It is now 343, ranked 6th. Double A Bowie last year was 332, ranked 4th. Now it's 342 and the top on-base percentage in the Eastern League. And Aberdeen went from 337 to 343, staying the same fourth, but obviously six points higher. And then you look at just individual players. We've talked about a bunch of these guys already tonight, but Kyle Stowers keeping a walk rate of well above average while lowering his strikeout rate from 32.1% to 23%. Gunnar Henderson raising his walk rate from 12.1% to 18.3% and lowering his strikeout rate from 30.9% to 205 you see uh, Hudson Haskin. Nope, he's also not. He has not done that. I don't know why I wrote his name down. Uh, Maverick Hanley, we, uh, we, we talked about how he's gone from 30.3% striker out to 17.5%. And John Rhodes, he has gone from 8.6% walk rate to 15.8%. And T.T. Bowens, 8.7% to 15.2%. You're just seeing in Zach Watson, even though he's struggling mightily this season, he's gone from 4.1% to 7.4% walk rate. Uh, Adam Hall raised his walk rate 1.3%, lowered his strikeout rate 3%. Andrew Doshbach raised his walk rate 3% and lowered his strikeout rate a little bit. So just up and down throughout the organization. Whatever they're doing is working. We've seen it at the major league level. We talked to Matt Borg-Schalte about it last week. And uh, that's just another positive sign that the Orioles are turning things around. Yeah, that's been Really, the only issue is, you know, sometimes you'll see guys or teams, especially in Delmarva, you know, you'll see them go get one walk and strike out 15 times in a game, but then they'll rebound and the next three nights, they're completely reversing that. Uh, and so these guys are definitely learning. It's all levels of the system. Uh, and it's it's just, it's creating more runs. And it's not even just on the hitting side of things too. It's on the pitching side of things too. I, I would imagine uh, you're seeing more strikeouts and fewer walks on the pitching side of things as well. So, I mean, this is, just goes both ways here. It's the, the small gains that I think go unnoticed have been really huge this year. And I think TT bones is a, a perfect example. Like we talked about earlier, the walk rate, uh, how much more often he's getting on base where, yeah, you might be sacrificing some power right now. Colton Kowser, Yeah. You might be sacrificing, sacrificing some power right now, but, Look at it, their complete games and how they're growing. The power will come. They're doing all the smaller things right first in the minor leagues. And then when you get to AAA and you see what Gunnar Henderson does. Um, so it's all going to come together. But, yeah, this is it's part of that whole there's one message. No matter what level you're playing at, there's one message. There's one way of doing this individually tailored to each player, obviously, but one philosophy that's guiding this development. And it's paying dividends up and, cross, up and down the system. Yeah, it's really been, you know, we talked about it quite a bit last year, especially after we had the opportunity to interview Ryan Fuller and Gooey and get more insight into the work that he was doing there. But I think it's definitely played out more this year where you're seeing a lot of key hitters cut their strikeout rates and their walk rates either stay about the same or improve a little bit. And for me, the biggest success story in this group might be Kyle Stowers because Stowers was a guy that had had that strikeout-heavy label attached to him since he was at Stanford. And you tend to feel like college hitters, you know, maybe if they're a high strikeout guy in college, they're going to be a high strikeout guy their whole career. 
Um, and last year, Stowers was a high strikeout guy. He just hit the ball so well, and he walked enough that it wasn't that much of an issue. This year, his strike rate is down. The strikeout rate is down to twenty three percent after being at thirty percent or greater at all three levels he played at last year. And the walk rate at eleven and a half percent is not too far off from what it was last year. So now, when I think about the kind of hitter Kyle Stowers could be at the major league level when he gets there soon. I don't think too much about, well, you know, he's going to hit for power. He'll walk a lot, but he'll be, you know, among the top two or three hitters every year in the league in strikeouts. I don't know that's necessarily going to be the case anymore. You know, this year doesn't tell the full story, but you can look at the numbers and see significant improvements. And that's, he's to me been one of the big success stories, him and Gunnar Henderson. Yeah. And if you look at the guy, Kyle Stowers is going to probably eventually replace this season, Anthony Santander. They both have 15 home runs. They're both striking out around 20% of the time. Santander is walking 10% of the time. And he only has seven doubles while Stowers has 15. And obviously the level of competition is obviously different. But I just think you're not going to lose much immediately in that uh, in your lineup once you make that switch. And I think Stowers has plenty more upside than Santander, who is a solid player. But pretty much he is who he is at this point. I agree. And Stowers, too. Like I'll touch on defensively. Stowers' defense doesn't get the credit that it deserves. And he's played a good amount of center field, continued to play a good amount of center field this year. He can legitimately play all three positions out there in the outfield. He's probably not a guy you want every day in center field for two, three weeks straight, but he can do it. Uh, and you're not going to lose a ton of defensive value out there. So, yeah, I am... I think at the end of last year, beginning of this year, I had probably said on the show a couple of times that I was my concern level for Stowers was kind of high, probably higher than I think some people. Uh, but a lot of those fears, he's calmed down, and it's it's that strikeout rate. Everything else is remaining consistent, but the strikeout rates drop, and it's it's a beautiful sight. Move on now to our final segment of the show, where we like to recognize players outside of our top thirty, whether. It's a good game they've had recently, a good week, or maybe just something interesting we notice in their performances that we want to shout out. And I'm going to start with Nick, who has interesting hitter and pitcher at Double A Bowie for his picks this week. Yeah, first, just shout out to Bowie pitching staff, which, is, if my math was correct, they had 74 strikeouts last week to just 11 walks. Just unbelievable pitching from Bowie. And admittedly, like that has been kind of a, a sore spot uh, this year, but. For my hitter, I actually both these guys are Bowie people. Uh, I'm going JD Monday. It's my hitter. Five games played last week. He hit three home runs. He drew five walks. He only had 14 walks on the season coming into last week. He added five to that total this past week. Struck out just two times. Hit 357 with a 526 on base percentage. So shout out to JD Monday for a big week. Uh, and then my pitcher, I went only because I wanted to mention this on the show. Garrett Stallings. Um, Look, we read the numbers off last week. His month of June, a 28.5 ERA, 4.17 whip, 5.26 average against, 12 innings, just five starts. And on the year, he's already given up 20 home runs in 54 innings. He gave up 19 home runs last year when we said that's a major red flag in 106 innings. So um, not a lot of good. But yesterday or the other day, I don't remember what day it was exactly, but his last start, no, he came out of the bullpen, four innings, Struck out 10 guys, gave up just one run. It, it was a solo home <laughs> run, obviously. But 10 strikeouts, no walks in four innings. After that month he had, I just thought I 
I couldn't pass it up. I had to shout him out. Um, you know, I don't know what to make of him. Maybe I'm still the last guy paying any attention to Garrett Stallings, but that's that's that was an impressive outing for him. Yeah, that was that was interesting that he still managed to give up a home run in there, snuck it in there under the wire. Uh, for me, I'm going with the guy in the FCL that is kind of coming out of nowhere for me, which looking back at his numbers from the DSL last year, I should have had him a little bit more on my radar. He had a 744 OPS uh, in the Dominican. It's Carlos Rodriguez, who is an 18-year-old catcher slash first baseman. Um, he has had a great start to this season. He's got a 333 batting average with a 984 OPS, 159 WRC plus. He's walking 14.3% of the time, only striking out 22.9% of the time. So Samuel Basayo is not the only power hitting catcher in the FCL right now, apparently. So that that's exciting to find out. And then my pitcher is Xavier Moore, a guy who kind of came on our radar early last year for Delmarva when he had a 2.89 ERA over, uh, what was it, 18.2 innings. He's striking out a bunch of guys. I think he was striking out 13 per nine last year. Well, he got up to Aberdeen and had a nine ERA over 19 innings, and the FIP was not exactly much better at 7.45. Was still striking out guys, but walking way too many and giving up some home runs. Well, he's back in Aberdeen this year. He, He doesn't they don't throw him a lot. I think he gets like maybe three innings a week, if that. But he's got a 1.74 ERA to go along with a 1.72 FIP. So it's not exactly luck related. He's striking out 16 batters per nine or 42.5%. He's still walking a good bit, 4.35 per nine or 11.5%. But man, he's got an electric arm. He's 23 years old, but Clearly, there's something there. He's like the short burst version of Ignacio Feliz as far as striking out guys. He struck out 14 over seven in the third last week. So shout out to Xavier Moore. So my uh, hitter for this week is Billy Cook. Um, player at Aberdeen, kind of been a utility role this year as an infielder, outfielder, although he was an outfielder, primarily an outfielder in college. Um, last week, he had six games. He hit four home runs and 25 plate appearances, eight RBIs. 375 average overall in that stretch from June 29th through July 4th. He now has eight home runs of the season, half of which came in that span. And he has to go with that 14 steals in 18 attempts. He picked up two stolen bases last week. So a big week for Billy Cook, who figures to benefit from some of the movement out of Aberdeen up to Bowie, particularly with Colton Cowser and Connor Norby going up as Cook plays second base in addition to the outfield. So, Big shout-out to him with his numbers for the week. And then Noah DeNoyer, circling back to him, he had his first start of the season on July 1st against Richmond. Five innings, allows one earned run with nine strikeouts and no walks. And he's slated to get to start Wednesday when Bowie takes on Somerset. So right now in line for his second start of the season after a dominant outing on July 1. And we've talked a lot about him on the show, about how good he has been this year. Most of that has come in long inning relief roles but as a starter on july one very good numbers from him so that does it for tonight's episode we've covered a lot of ground in our mid-season roundup we're into the month of july which means we're gonna have a very busy month in terms of content here on the show we've got the draft coming up the trade deadline and we know that with us being now at about the midway point perhaps a little bit past in the minor league season probably going to see a lot of movement so check out our twitter at bsl on the birds stay up to date 
on the latest news between our shows. And check out BaltimoreSportsAndLife.com for all the latest Orioles, Ravens, college sports covers, and more. Nick's new piece, which we talked about on this episode, is on there along with a lot of excellent work from our writers. And while you're there, be sure to hop on the message board and join discussion with readers of the site and as well as the contributors to BSL. We will be back on our regular night next Monday with a new episode. In the meantime, for Bob Phelan and Nick Stevens, this is Zach Spedden. You've been listening to On the Birds. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.